You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. I was asked recently what I do for a living. I was asked to give an answer in a single sentence. And my answer was, I teach people how to enjoy life. And yet I spend half of my life talking to people about the things that detract from their enjoyment, distract them from their enjoyment. Stuff like annoyance and frustration. It doesn't need to be big annoyance or big frustration. Little annoyance or little frustration is enough to get the ball rolling, to enable your thinking mind, start beating the living daylights out of you. But it goes on from there, you see. That's my point. It goes on into worry and anxiety and stress and sometimes panic. In other words, I could put it another way. I spend half of my life talking to people about things that don't exist because none of the above exists. None of the above is created in the real world. None of the above is created in the external world or by the external world. It's not created by other people. It's not created by outside events. Getting annoyed that somebody has pulled out in front of you in traffic is an interesting one. You get annoyed and stressed out and start shouting at somebody that you've never met before and you'll never meet probably in your entire life. Getting stressed out about something like that has nothing to do with the other driver. Everything comes from within. It comes from within, and this is the tragic part, it comes from within automatically. This is built into us. This is how our minds actually work in the ordinary course of our ordinary everyday lives. And as I said a minute ago, it doesn't have to be big annoyance or big frustration. It doesn't even have to be a negative thought that starts the ball rolling. It could be a positive thought, like somebody seeing a car and saying, and this is a real story, by the way, seeing a, a lovely car and saying, ooh, I'd fancy myself in that car, and then thinking to themselves, well, maybe I should look into getting a test drive in a car like that. Or maybe I could at least go and sit in the showroom and sit in the car. And then the next thought is, well, why would I bother doing that? I'd annoy myself. Now, here's the annoyance creeping in. I'd be frustrated that I couldn't buy the car because I know for a fact that I can't afford a car like that. And then other thoughts come in like, well, actually, truth be told, not only can you not afford a car like that, you probably can't afford the holiday that you have just booked. As I said, this is a real story. Somebody telling me how in the space of the twinkling of an eye, how he went from admiring a passing car to getting to the point where he thought he would end up broke. Now, it's a whole string of nasty thoughts. I said a few weeks ago on this podcast that people need only think one thought and it could be what I described at the time as a goldfish thought for a lot of other thoughts to hop on board. A goldfish thought? What is that? Well, I think a nice thought, like, ooh, that's a nice car. A goldfish thought is the shiny, nice thought that we think that is followed up by a shoal of piranha that'll savage you. 
That's the way thought works. And as I've said recently in one of these podcast episodes, even when we use our thinking mind to enable us tie our shoelaces in the morning without giving any attention whatsoever to the act of tying those shoelaces, and by virtue of the fact that we don't give any attention to that, we allow the automatic pilot do it for us. In other words, we employ the automatic pilot. In other words, we encourage the automatic pilot to heap misery upon misery, frustration upon annoyance, stress upon worry, panic upon stress. None of these things exist. They are a fabrication of our own mind. I was going to say that these things, like, for example, stress, is a figment of your imagination. It's actually not. It's worse than that. It is a figment of the imagination of the people that taught you what might stress you out when you were young and impressionable. And it isn't even a figment of their imagination because their parents and their siblings before them, mindless as they were, using their minds on automatic pilot, did damage to the little, young, impressionable, sponge-like minds that we all had when we were young and impressionable. I think it's important that you understand how this process actually works, because if you don't understand the process of getting annoyed or frustrated or suffering from stress, or thinking that you're suffering from stress, and of course, if you are thinking that you're suffering from stress, then you actually are in reality suffering from stress. So the, the concoction is unreal. The results can be very real indeed, life-shortening death encouraging. We use a process, we employ a process, and it's an automatic process called cognitive appraisal. It is how we make sense of what is going on around us. It is how we make sense of how we feel about what is going on around us, or more to the point, it is how who we think we are makes sense of how who we think we are feels about what we think is going on around us. It, it's like a sausage machine and you might be forgiven for thinking that you know maybe i'm 50 say i'm 50 at this stage and i've been using that sausage machine since i was 12 so i've been using that sausage machine for 38 years maybe it's groaning at this stage maybe it's wearing out maybe it's time for change no the sausage machine with every little item it cognitively appraises becomes better more effective and more efficient and more automatic at its job. Somebody says something to you. Let's say something simple. You're looking well today. You are looking well today. Five words. Five words that to your mind, in terms of those words being raw data, those five words are meaningless. They're just sounds that come into your auditory system. You have to give meaning to those five words. Now, it isn't the other person that said to you, you're looking well today that gives you the meaning. It is how you make up your mind about what those five words mean when they first enter your system. This is the process of cognitive appraisal. You will decide whether those words are an insult or a compliment or anything in between those two extremes. By virtue of the state of mind that you are in at that point in time, and by virtue of what you think of the person who delivered those five words. 
you might think the person who delivered those five words is hateable and he's trying to get up your nose. He's trying to annoy you. He's trying to frustrate you. Or you may think he is the most wonderful person or she is the most wonderful person in the world. That colours our apparent judgment. And I say apparent judgment because it is actually a prejudice that we have. We're prejudiced people because the judgments that we use in our cognitive appraisal process to make sense of something as simple as five words that say, you're looking well today, they are prejudgments that we learned when we were young and impressionable and became prejudiced through what we learned about ourselves and about life when we were young and impressionable. You don't make any judgments now as an adult. You simply automatically make the same judgments that you have always made, even about somebody that you've never met before, because built into us is a process whereby we make up our minds about new people, new encounters, new events in our lives within less than four seconds. So we never know anybody else. We never fully appreciate what is actually going on. We think we know best. You know why? Because in olden days, when we were hunter-gatherers, it enabled us to keep our minds on the key, the prime directive, you might call it, the key goal that we always had in mind in those days. That was to survive, to make it through the day and make it back safely to bed at night. So somebody says to you, you're looking well today. As I said, how you make up your mind as to what those five words actually mean to you at this point in time depends first and foremost on your state of mind. Now, if you're using your mind normally, you're finished right before you get going. You have been hobbled and nobbled by the fact that you're in the wrong state of mind. Because when we use our minds normally, we are in an absent state of mind. We haven't turned up to our own lives. We haven't a clue what is going on. We interpret those five words through filters that we've been using all of our adult life. As I've said, a few minutes ago, filters that we learned when we were young and impressionable. Probably the primary filters we learned, we were only three years old at the time. So if I'm using my mind normally, regardless of what has been said to me or regardless of what has been done for me, I will always come to a conclusion that isn't based in fact. It isn't based in the present. It isn't based in anything other than the dim and distant past and my automatic mind automatically recalling that dim and distant past to enable me make a value judgment or a prejudgment about what I think is going on here and now. If I happen to get my interpretation of what is going on in the here and now right, it's dumb luck. It really is dumb luck for the simple reason that in my case, as a 64-year-old, I would be using what I learned by way of judgment and prejudice before 1960, 1961, to make sense of 2023. As I said, dumb luck if I get it right. Now, the problem about our state of mind colouring our interpretation of what is going on in the here and now is, as I said, first and foremost, if I'm using my mind normally, I'm in the wrong state of mind. But secondly, as a result of being in the wrong state of mind, I am interpreting what I think is going on by virtue of what I think of me. Now, answer this question honestly. Do you think you're perfect? I have never met anybody who answers that in the affirmative. 
are probably a couple of people in the world. We probably see them in our newspapers and on our television screens and on the internet who have this warped idea that they might actually indeed be perfect. But no names, no pack drill. At least said easiest meant. But honestly, nobody actually deep down thinks they're perfect because they've been told from the outset that they were imperfect. They've been told from the outset that they needed for example, to educate themselves. And the premise of education is to better yourself. Now, what is the implicit message in that? I better better myself because I'm in need of betterment because I'm not great in the first place or I'm not good in the first place. We won't even have a conversation in relation to what religion teaches us about our own self-worth. It's not worth the hassle of having that ridiculous conversation. The fact of the matter is, though, that when I am now, in 2023, interpreting what is going on now, in 2023, if I am using my mind normally, I will be applying stored knowledge, as psychology calls it, from decades ago to try to make sense of here and now. And most importantly, the stored knowledge that I will be fundamentally using is the stored knowledge that I have about myself. Warts! And all. I asked somebody recently, what did he think his strengths and weaknesses were? And he spent about 10 minutes telling me, answering my question. And I said to him in the end, but, but they're only perceptions. I said, they are self-perceptions. They are things that you learned about yourself and you've continued to reinforce over the intervening years since you were 12 or 13. They're perceived strengths and weaknesses. And he said, but somebody else told me that I was brilliant at focusing, for example. I said, who were these other people? He said, oh, people around me. I said, you mean normal, crazy people? People who don't know their backside from their elbow. There's a, a slightly different version of that, but we'll keep the party clean. I said, people who haven't turned up to the here and now, they don't know what they're talking about. Now, as a complete aside, as a complete aside, and I have to get this off my chest, often... Over the years, I have worked with people working in large corporations who use all kinds of tools to try to better understand themselves and to try to better understand their goals and objectives and to better understand how they can meet their goals and objectives. And they use tools like personality tests. I'm not going to waste my breath on that one. They use tools like 360 degree feedback. They ask all the people around them what they think of them. Can you see the fundamental flaw in that? Because nobody knows anything about the other real person. They only think they know, or worse, the person that they think they are thinks they know about what the person that they think they are thinks is the other person. Mad, mad, mad. Somebody said to me a couple of years ago, oh, but you need to have tools like 360 degree feedback. I said in mathematics, 360 degrees means going round in circles, ever decreasing circles as it turns out. Why would you ask a normal crazy person to validate you? Ooh, ooh, now that I asked that question out loud, isn't that what normal crazy people are doing all of the time? They are looking for approval, and we know why normal crazy people using their minds normally, and you're probably one of them, and we all are blessed, if that's the right word, with a normal mind, at least at the outset of this adventure we were. But 
Why do normal crazy people go around looking for others' approval? Why do they hang around in groups? Why do they hang around in herds? Why do they hang around in tribes? Why do they have to have pints with the people who support the same football team? Why do they look for approval? Because they don't approve of themselves. And that goes back to the question that I asked you a few minutes ago. Do you think you're perfect? Now, I could ask that question a different way. And, you know, with some people I've worked with, they would understand the question that I'm about to ask you now, and they'd also know the answer. Instead of my asking you, do you think you're perfect? I could ask you, do you know you're perfect? Have you experienced it? Have you, through training your mind to not operate automatically, to not operate normally, having done that, have you experienced what you really are? Who you really are and the fact that actually at its most fundamental level you are perfect all the other stuff that was layered on top the perceived strengths the perceived weaknesses they have nothing to do with who you actually really are or what you are energy at its core now you'll notice i said perceived strengths and perceived weaknesses back to the friend i asked a couple of weeks ago what his strengths and weaknesses were and after his 10 minute answer and after telling him that and there were only perceptions i said to him you know your perceived strengths are as bizarre and debilitating as your perceived weaknesses because they're still only perceptions and until you know who you really are you'll never understand that you can achieve anything to which you set your mind But back to, you're looking well today. Right back to what I was talking about in relation to cognitive praise. We make sense, very much in inverted commas. We make nonsense, actually, of what is going on in the here and now, as I said, first and foremost, based on our state of mind. And if you're using your mind normally, you are in the wrong state of mind. So say it's Monday when somebody says that to you and you don't like Mondays. Now, there's a useless thought if ever there were one. It's if you could control the days of the week. So you're in, not only are you in the wrong state of mind from your own perspective in relation to who you think you are, you're down in the dumps because it's Monday. You will interpret, if you bother interpreting what you're hearing at all, you will interpret it on the negative side rather than the positive side. And the interesting thing is that will make you a little bit more down in the dumps because bear with me on this one. This is really interesting. Your state of mind or your emotional state is determined by the thoughts that you're thinking. The thoughts that you are thinking determine your state of mind or your emotional state. Talk about 360 degrees and going around in circles. Oh, my God. We're as mad as hatters going around in circles when we're using our mind normally. The problem with it is, as I said at the beginning of this episode, I end up spending half my life talking to people about stuff that doesn't exist. Because annoyance is only an automatic reaction to something that's going on or actually something that you think is going on. Frustration is often born out of one being frustrated with oneself because one hasn't done something that they wanted to do. You know, Nike had it right in that regard. Just do it. If you have something to do, just do it. 
Stop thinking about it. Stop procrastinating. Stop putting it off. Stop getting frustrated with yourself. Letting your energy bleed away, that energy that you truly are at its most basic and fundamental level. Annoyance has to do with what you think about what's going on. Frustration, same. Worry, worry is even matter. Thinking about something that hasn't arrived yet. Or actually pouring your energy into something that you don't want to happen. Madness, madness, madness. But worry leads to anxiety, leads to stress. I recollect having a conversation with somebody many years ago at this stage, a rather amusing conversation, I have to say. Somebody who told me he was completely stressed out. I said, why? He said, well, I wake up each weekday morning. And the very first thought that crosses my mind is, am I going to have to go into the office and look at that moron's stupid face and listen to him talking rubbish? Again, he didn't say rubbish. Am I going to have to endure that again today? I said, who are you talking about? He said, the git, the excuse for a human being that I work for. I hate my boss. I said, well, <laughs> you know, you have two choices here. Number one, you can change your job. Or number two, and it's easier, actually, you can change your mind. You only think he's like that. And even if he has provided ample evidence to suggest that you may actually be right in your assessment of who he is. What is it to you if you ignore him? If you ignore his bad energy, or more to the point, ignore how he's probably clawing at you for some of your energy. Because bullies don't impose negative stuff on their victims. Bullies take energy from their victims because they perceive themselves to be unworthy, a big hole in their own energy, or at least they think they do. So they go around like the worst kind of energy vampire, sucking energy from other people. But what if you don't give your ugly, mug-headed boss your energy? What if you stop triggering the stress response? Because obviously, when he was waking up and thinking that thought every morning, even though the thought had nothing to do with the fact that he was still lying in bed where all was well, even though the thought had nothing to do with how wonderful it is to stand under the positively charged ions of a hot shower where all is well, even though when he was sitting down with his wife and young child before he went to work in the morning having breakfast where all was well, he was forward-thinking, expecting the worst of the day ahead, and you tend to get what you expect in life. He was triggering the stress response in bed, in the shower, at breakfast, in the car going to work, long before he ever met the guy in question. And you know, it might be that he went into work that day and the boss didn't turn up. Or I have an even better story. A couple of years ago, I was talking to somebody who got promoted it is a perfect moment that he had written down. It was a job that he said, I could really enjoy this. This is the kind of thing that would really turn me on. And sure, if it really turns me on, it won't be like work at all. I'll be passionate about it. It'll be fantastic. So he got promoted. And he got promoted to report to somebody who displayed all of the aforementioned traits in relation to the bully boss. 
a nasty piece of work. And I, I knew the other individual, and he was indeed a nasty piece of work. And my friend rang me and said, I've got my dream, and it's a nightmare. He said, I'm going to be reporting to this individual. Now, he didn't use those words either. What am I going to do about it? And I said, I just quipped. I said, you know, God is good. I said, he might walk out under a bus. Now, I obviously only meant that, figuratively speaking, obviously. But three days later, his employers threw him under a bus. And, he ended, and my friend ended up reporting to somebody else who allowed him the freedom to be passionate about what he was doing. He had found his dream job. We never know what's going to happen next. We only think we know what's going to happen next. And unfortunately, it is in that thinking and overthinking that we trigger, as I said a moment ago, the stress response. Now, stress will kill you, even though stress itself is not real. You only think it. You only choose it. You choose it automatically. Even though stress is not real, it's a personal choice you make. It's an automatic personal choice you make, but that's beside the beside. I'll come back to that in a moment. If you think you're stressed, you are stressed. And the effects of triggering the stress response are very real indeed. Because once cortisol gets into our system, our heart rate increases, our blood pressure increases. The production of fatty LDL cholesterol in the cardiovascular system increases. Our immune system and our digestive system, both of those systems that we don't need when we're in fight or flight mode, are suppressed. So people get ill. People catch colds. People get COVID. People get indigestion. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. If you're increasing your heart rate every day when you think about that bus or when you get stressed or get annoyed with the person pulling out in front of you in traffic, if you're increasing your blood pressure every day as a result of that kind of nonsense going on in your own head, if you're adding to the fatty cholesterol that is already built up in your system, then you're slowly killing yourself. Modern science is pretty clear on the cause of the vast majority, and I mean more than 90% of cardiovascular incidents, stress. Modern science is also increasingly clear on the cause of most cancers, stress. You're killing yourself. You're killing yourself by automatically making the wrong choice. Now, how do you stop that? You meditate. Now, we'll talk more about this as we go next week, because I need to get into this in more detail, because obviously meditating first thing in the morning will have you cool, calm and collected at 7 a.m. But once you meet your boss and look at his face, the wheels may well come off again. So there's a little more to it than that. But and this is what I want to finish up on today. Listen to me carefully, because regardless of what meditation does to the brain and what meditation does to the brain is phenomenal. And the word phenomenal doesn't even begin to cover it. It's so phenomenal, it will literally change your life and has changed some people's lives overnight. But regardless of what meditation does to the brain, consider what meditation does to the body. It does the exact opposite to the body, to that which stress does to the body. Meditation lowers the heart rate. I have a client who, when I met him first, had just had a cardiac incident. He had a heart attack. Uh, and he was given all kinds of 
exercises, including obviously walking every day, to ensure that his heart came back to full health. And his heart rate, his average heart rate, his daily heart rate came down and down. And it settled down at about 70. He's been meditating for the last number of years. His resting heart rate is now around 45, 46. That is just an anecdotal story that covers a multitude of scientific research going back at this stage two decades. Meditation reduces your heart rate. Meditation deals with what the World Health Organization calls the silent killer, hypertension, high blood pressure. Meditation reduces the blood pressure. Meditation undoes the buildup of fatty cholesterol in the cardiovascular system. It doesn't just stop it and leave it as it found it when you started meditating first. It reverses the process. And increasingly, there is an abundance of research in relation to how meditation enhances the digestive system and enhances the immune system. Most of all, meditation, through the developing of a clear state of mind, enables you make a choice other than the choice that is automatically made by the automatic pilot every day when it triggers the stress response. You have a choice to make moment to moment. You have a choice to allow a goldfish thought open the door to the piranhas that will savage you. You have a choice to let cortisol drip into your system as a result of automatically triggering the stress response. Or you have a choice to take a deep breath, experience the moment, perhaps even experience what you are in the moment. And as a consequence of making that different choice, everything changes in a cascading effect. We'll explore this further next week. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-hortel.com.